This week on Merchants of Change, we've got Josh Richards. Josh played hockey at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point before becoming an Army Ranger. Today, he is the Senior Sales Manager at Cherry. Here he is, Josh Richards. I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder and CEO of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes and military veterans into becoming a professional salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? Today on the show, we've got Josh Richards. Josh, thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me, JR. Looking forward to it. Excited. It's going to be an awesome combo. So uh, just for context for new listeners, uh, Merchants, is a, Merchants of Change is a show for new salespeople, uh, people considering a career shift into sales. And we're finding that we also have a, a pretty good, decent audience of sales leaders. So um, our mission at Shift Group is to help elite athletes and military veterans become elite sales professionals. Simple simple mission. Um, our podcasts are typically former, our guests are typically former athletes or veterans who've found success in sales. Um, we were just talking about this, but you're one of the rare guests that checks both of those boxes. Um, and from a structure perspective, we like kind of start with the sports and military career. We, we talk about the transition into civilian life. And then finally, we, we try to round it out with some lessons you've learned so far in sales and business. Sound, sound like a good plan? Yeah, sounds awesome. Let's do it. I love it. I love it. So, I I, I gotta go to to hockey first because because that's our our shared uh, our yes, shared love and passion. So when when I kind of start with a broad question, when I when I have you recall some of your favorite memories of playing hockey, where does your mind drift off to? Um, for me, it, it goes back to just like the the dream, the grind to to try to play D one. Um, like going through the prep school ranks. I know you're a cushion guy. I, w- I won't hold it against you, but um, <laughs> I, did, I went to Berwick and then uh, Phillips Exeter for my for my junior and senior year. So absolutely loved it there when just kind of like wide eyed, bushy tail, not knowing not knowing what was coming, and just kind of like trying trying to get that that college scholarship. So I I loved that. Um, loved loved the locker room, and then obviously like getting getting into West Point as well. The the memories there with the teammates. Those are. Those are definitely um, the memories that I cherish. Dude, the the character building that you do from like thirteen to nineteen to like get that goal is like it is unbelievable. Nobody's really ever said that, but it's such a it's such it's so true. Looking back and the being in the driveway, push up, sit up, squats, shooting pucks, like yeah. just unreal. And and yeah. quick comment on Exeter and Cushing. You know, listen, Cushing. Not everybody can have the strong academic history that Cushing has, you know. So I, I understand why you're jealous about that. So don't. Cushing <laughs> Cushing's a tough school to get into when it's locked. You know. <laughs> fair, fair. You guys have presidents. We don't. We we've got convicts. That's okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, we talked about this before, and and you know, similar kind of decision process. It's a huge huge life altering decision to end up at West Point. Um, tell us, tell me a little bit about what happened leading up to kind of your first days at West Point. 
Yeah. Yeah. Huge, huge decision for sure. I think like at the time, didn't even know how big of a decision it was because I was so focused on, um, I, I always had the, the dream of playing D1 hockey. That was my number one focus growing up. It's like why I went to prep school, why I did everything. Uh, but my dad was always big on education as well. Like, you know, you're not, not going to play in the NHL. Like you got to get good grades. You're probably going to end up at a school that requires you to be good at hockey, but smart also. Um, so like, as I was talking to colleges, it was kind of the, the standard, standard bubble guy, like had D1 interest, a lot of NESCAC interest, like, um, pretty much could have gone to any NESCAC. And then some of the D1 schools I was, I was talking to weren't as good academically. And then West Point came along and it was like number one school on the Forbes list that year. I hadn't heard much about it. Um, but I was like, Hey, this looks like an awesome school, D1 hockey. Um, I'll, I'll figure out the army thing later. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> Oh, that, just that, that little, that little army thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. So, and free, free education. So I was just like, this, this place seems awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the campus, I mean, it's, it's breathtaking. The campus is unbelievable. Yeah, Walking the visit, through and the, the history is unreal. Yeah. The visit totally sold it. Um, loved, loved the, the guys that were there that kind of took me around. Um, just per perfect setup. And I'm like a structured routine guy. I kind of like the prep school grind of like wake up school all day, practice, workout, homework. And um, yeah, I was like, it's, I'm, I'm probably going to fit in pretty good here. Some people like it. Some people need it. And the combination of those two will make sense how you kind of picked West Point. I'm someone who needed it, but someone who didn't like it back then. And that's ultimately what cost me the, the opportunity to go there. But, you know, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Um now, like looking back at, you talked about some of those guys that took you around. When you think of some of your favorite teammates from from West Point, what are what are some of the traits and, and characteristics that that your favorite guys share? Um, I think like one thing that's unique about West Point is like the upperclassmen really look out for you. Because um, like when you're when you're a freshman at West Point, you have a lot of like duties. You you can't talk outside. You have to like cup your hands when you're walking, walk along the walls and buildings. Um, so it's just, it's kind of like a grind of a year and the upperclassmen really look out for you. They're making sure you're doing all right. Um, off the ice, they're, you know, picking, picking you up from class, walking you to the range, just like chat, chatting with you. Cause those are the only upperclassmen that you're allowed to talk to. Um, and really it's like all, all those guys did that. Like my, we had a really big senior class my freshman year and they were, they were all awesome. So I think just like that willingness to help the younger guys. It's kind of like built into the culture at West Point, and then you kind of take pride take pride in that when you become an upperclassman as well. So that's that's probably the biggest trait. Yeah, that the whole plebe thing really scared me on on my visit. I was like, oh my yeah. god! Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty pass. that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. There's like a micro culture in the team where it's it's not as like hardcore, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's nice. Like we loved we loved uh, away games because you got to stay in a hotel and sleep under your covers. Like we sleep on top of our, on top of our covers at West Point. You like put a blanket under your bed so you don't have to like remake your bed in the morning. So just the little things, man, like, oh, are you staying in a hotel, hotel tonight? Break sheets, boys. Let's go. So <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's unreal. Yeah. How do you think, how do you think your teammates uh, would describe you from when you played hockey? Um, I think I would, I would hope similar from the younger guys. Like definitely that I, that I looked out for them. Um, Big, big work ethic guy. Like I um, loved getting in extra reps in the gym, 
before and after practice. So I think they'd all say I was, um, that I, that I was a hard worker and, um, yeah, I had, I had some on ice mentors and some off ice mentors that I loved that so I would say, I think, um, you know, some would, some would consider me a pretty good glue guy in the locker room as well. I can relate to that. That's yeah, my, my claim to fame, chief culture officer. Yes, uh, <laughs> now, uh, getting into your army career, um, I, I, this isn't in the notes, but I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, how does it, how does it work? You, you, you graduate, you go right into service. Um, can you just talk about that, that process a little bit? Um, I, again, yeah. I know we didn't, we didn't prep for this, but I, I think it, it's, it's powerful to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So it starts your senior year. You, um, put in preferences for your branch and for your post. Um, and that's all based off class rank. And then there's a certain number of slots in each branch and there's a certain number of slots at each duty station. And you kind of, they just go down the list based off what you put in your preferences and then what your class rank was. Um, so that's kind of like what dictates your first move in the army. Like when you graduate, the first thing everybody does is go to their basic officer leadership course. So like whatever branch you go, it varies. Like I, yeah. I went infantry. So I went to uh, Fort Benning, Georgia for my training. Um, so that's kind of like what dictates it. You graduate, usually get like a couple weeks to a couple months off and then kind of report to wherever you're doing your training for your, for your branch. That, that lasts from like, between six months and a year, and then you go to your first duty station after that. I love it. Okay. And, and, um, now you had a, a great career in the army. Um, what are, what are some of the milestones that, that mark your time in the military? Yeah. I think first milestone is like choosing the branch. That's like a huge, yeah. that's a huge thing. So, um, choosing to go infantry dictated my entire career from there. Um, so I think that was a big milestone. Everybody told me it was the most like a locker room, like you're, um, it's like a sports team. Um, I always thought like infantry was varsity. It's like, it's the main effort. So if I'm going to do this thing, I might as well do it. Um, so that, that was a big milestone and then ended up going to uh, Ranger regiment. So kind of choosing to go that path as well as <clears throat> a, uh, a Ranger officer for my last three years of my career in uh, Savannah, Georgia. That's, uh, we have, um, a guy who works for us, uh, Sean, he, he retired uh, 22 years. He's a Green Beret, E9 Sergeant nice. Major, but he shared his story on, on Ranger Regiment. So we know we know that that's no joke, man. Awesome. Um, now, I'm curious, like we, for guys like me who never served, athlete transition is one thing that, that I think I understand, you know, personally. But can you talk a little bit about the transition from military life to civilian life and, and why that can be like really hard on, on veterans? Yeah, I think, um, the, the number one thing for me, which I still like kind of, kind of struggle with honestly, is like the sense of purpose. Like, um, I always say like, it was cool being like, Hey, I'm an army ranger. I, I would get fined for saying this by my teammate, but it's, it's cool to be like, Hey, I'm an army ranger officer. Like that was, that was awesome. Um, and kind of try to find that, that sense of purpose and everybody's telling you like, Hey, find your purpose. Like never, ne if you find your purpose, you'll never work a day in your life. And you're kind of getting fed with that. And actually, I think it was one of the first posts I saw from you, which I love, which you were like, Hey, when I was leaving Holy Cross, I was passionate about hockey and Bush light. Like, uh, you know, you got to find a, you got to find a different purpose. It might not be necessarily like the work you're doing. Um, so I think that's honestly a great, it's like a switch that a lot of people need to learn. And like what I kind of figured out and what I'm learning is that the job itself doesn't necessarily have to be your purpose or your calling. 
Um, but I think like a lot of people kind of struggle to do that because you identify as like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a ranger. I'm a ranger NCO. I'm a ranger officer. It's like a cool job. And then you're trying to figure out like, what am I going to do that kind of competes with that on paper? You know? Yeah. That's, and that's a hard gap to close if, if, you know, and, and, and P, I think people for the most part, the, the mix up I see often is follow your people tell you to follow your passion. And it's like, no, <laughs> you don't follow your passion. You work for it. Like, there's nobody in the world that's sitting in front of like seventh grade class being like, yeah, I can't wait to be an insurance salesman someday. <laughs> but dude, I know dozens of, of buddies that sell insurance and are super passionate about it because it aligns to what they want to achieve in their life. Their, like you said, their purpose. So yeah. um, that's, a, that's a good analogy. Um, we struggle with this often. I did a post about it yesterday. Um, like Sean's a great example. He had to interview at 42 companies before he got a BDR job, an E9 sergeant major, Green Beret. Like it's ridiculous, preposterous. Yeah. How do you think business leaders in the private sector can do a better job helping make it easier or smoother for these veterans to transition? I think sometimes, sometimes it's a matter of like not taking the job wreck that seriously like they don't have to meet every single qualification on paper and for lack of a better term like as a leader be an athlete like see what compares what in their background compares to a trait that would bring value to your organization and be able as a leader to kind of bridge that gap and hire for traits more so than specific experience and i, tr I try to do that when i'm hiring as well um, i'm much more and thankfully like my company's like that as well we uh um we try to find excellent people um, so I would say like, be looking at the person more so necessarily than like the piece of paper. I think that mindset is one thing. And then I think like, there's a lot of great veteran resources out there. So yeah. not to like plug, not to plug shift group while you're on here, but resources like that, like just educating yourself that there are programs like that out there. I did a couple when I was getting out. I know there's like hiring our heroes, um, like career skill bridge, just kind of like yep. as a leader being open to having those conversations. And I mean, it's kind of a no brainer because your talent pool just like expands massively. Totally. Totally. Yeah. We're, we're involved in the skill bridge program. It's awesome. Yeah, nice. DOD program that, um, and, and I think sales leaders and, and leaders and business leaders in general doing that research and like, it's one thing to post happy veterans day right and say you support the troops but i my big belief is if you if you want to support you know hire them like they're going to yeah. add they're going to upskill and 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 create a new level of accountability in your organization from the jump we've seen it dozens of times now yeah um, so let's talk a little bit about your own transition out of out of service um were you did you know like right away you were going to do a sales career when you finish how did that how did you land there not right away. Um, I think I was talking to a lot of mentors when I was getting out. Um, I did, I did a program called Alliance Careers, which kind of leads to some job offers. Uh, I did Breakline, which was tech, a tech specific yep. transition. So it was kind of like talking to a lot of people, um, just about kind of what is out there. Um, and then a lot of mentors recommended, like, if you want to be in a performance based industry, like a performance based role, like sales is for you. Like, I, I mean, I, I really did enjoy my time in the army, but if you're a top performer in the army, like that, that in five bucks will get you a cup of coffee. Like, um, right. it, whereas sales, it's like, there's a leaderboard, there's a quota. If you do well, you're going to grow accordingly. You'll be compensated accordingly in that. Um, 
that I liked. So I was talking to a lot of a lot of sales orgs at the time. Did did any of those mentors mention the fact that like even if even if you don't stay in sales, the lessons you learn there, like I as a as an entrepreneur and somebody who started their own business, I find that what I learned as a BDR and an account executive and selling to Fortune 500 companies has served me so freaking well in every like aspect of my day to day. Did did that come up at all, or was really more about like you you can you can really kind of get compensated according to your effort and results? Um, it definitely came up. Yeah. Um, I think I forget who told me, but it was there's some there was some stat um, that was like seven out of ten C- CEOs started in sales. Yep. Um, and it's just like a great way to expose yourself to all sides of the business. Um, so that that definitely definitely came up as well. Um, yeah, if you if you can't convince, motivate, and persuade people to take action, you're there's a, most jobs you're not going to be able to do someday. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that definitely came up and um, and was a perk as well because I was like, I I think I like sales, but I'm not 100 percent sure. But if there's the opportunity to pivot um, based off performance and it's a good place to start, yeah, I kind of went full full crash four check on the on the sales route. I love it. I love it. Now, I'm sure you get these calls. Um, if like an army ranger called you up and said, you know, Josh, I'm, I'm out in six months. I'm thinking about going into sales. Um, what kind of guidance are you, are you giving them? Are there questions you're asking? Are there things you tell them to like, to like almost not try to scare them, but like make sure they know about? Yeah. Well, first I ask kind of like why. Um, and it's like, if they talk to their buddy who's an enterprise account executive at Google who like closed a $10 million deal from a golf course and that's why they want to do it. It's like, <laughs> you got it. That's, you know, it's probably not, it's probably not for you. Cause a lot of people see that the earning potential, they hear those stories. Um, but that's like the edge case. Um, how you got to know that it's a, it is a grind. Um, it's a performance driven industry and like, on it, like your first sales job, you're probably going to be on paper overqualified for. And like, I'm a, I'm an example of that, not to like toot my own horn, but like I took a significant pay cut in my first job in the civilian sector because I started as SDR. Um, so I came from like four deployments, um, ranger platoon leader, ranger executive officer, um, overseeing, you know, 160 people. And then I, my first job was an SDR. So I'm like, are you kind of willing to, willing to humble yourself to, to do this. Um, so I would, I would ask that as well. And then in terms of like resources, I would say like, really, really think about the why, because you absolutely can create, create the lifestyle you want. Um, you just kind of have to be willing to potentially take a step back to take five steps forward. And then, um, definitely like start building your network, like start selling yourself now, take, take advantage of these resources, um, like shift group, for example, take advantage of them, go through like some type of program where you learn the skills of how to tell your story, how to um, get the claws sharp on like some of the basic skills. And, uh, yep. and, and yeah, you, you can get your foot in the door at some of these companies that way. Yeah. I, you, you, the comment you made there that resonates the most with me, cause we see it a lot, uh, especially in special operators that you, if you can't humble, be humble and, and like, start over with that beginner's mindset, it's, it's going to be really hard, right? If you're expecting to step into that Google, that Google enterprise role with one account that you have a badge at and you show up to twice a week, like, guess what? That's not, that's not, that ain't happening. 
It's yeah. definitely not happening in this market. Yeah. We always, we always use the analogy, like we, we work with a lot of um, like these transition foundations. And when we get these, these special operators, you know, Sean always asks them like, Oh, would you bring LeBron James on a combat mission? Because he's a elite athlete. Yeah. Of course you wouldn't like, Yes, exactly. he has certain qualities that make him very unique and different. But if you don't kind of start from those fundamentals, that it, you got to close that gap, and, yep. and that's kind of what we're trying to do for yeah, those types of guys. Love, love that analogy as well. So you get to this dude, the, these these folks. They it's it, they have a good reason why you know they're they're thinking about it the right way with a beginner's mindset. How are you coaching them when they think about okay? What what kind of company? What does what does a company look like that you feel like is a great place to start your career at? I think that a lot depends on the person. I, I would probably start at like you know a fast paced growing startup where a lot is like ambiguity, constant change, monthly, quarterly quota changing, um, no development, no like formal. You're probably going to be trained by your manager um, and like a peer mentor. Uh, and a lot of it is kind of like drink it through a fire hose, trial by fire, and, or like an established company that like they're going to put you through the put you through a formal training program. Um, you'll have a playbook. I'd say like start there. Do you want to be like a big company with an established track record or like a fast paced growing startup? I think that is really important. And I, I I don't think there's a right answer or wrong answer for no. that. Um, no, it's just a matter of I do think there is like a difference in the in the lifestyle and the mindset. Yeah, I, that's my, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's not better and it's not worse. Um, like a guy, I, and, I, and I don't know if, enough about you as to where you land on that continuum. But for me, if I went to a big company with a lot of structure, I, I, I wouldn't have lasted. Um, I, I need to be in that, that, that ambiguity. I need to wear multiple hats. I need, I need to kind of drink from the fire hose and trial by fire. That's how I operate. Um, and that's the operating environment I do best in. So, yeah. but that's me. That's who I am. That doesn't mean that that's right for you. You know what I mean? And that, that's part of that self discovery. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm at, I'm at the fast paced startup ambiguity environment right now. And I like it for sure. Yep. Um, yep. but I'm also a, a really formal structure guy as well, like to the point where my wife makes fun of me. So I think I personally am kind of like in the, in the middle on that one. <laughs> Josh folds his dirty laundry. That's okay, buddy. <laughs> um, now you, you talked about telling your story and, and that's like, honestly, like a huge part of our program is helping these folks thinking about how they're crafting their story from their time in the military, specifically for a, for a hiring manager, for a sales role. How, how did you tell your story coming out of the Rangers um, in that first BDR interview that, that you think like stuck, like worked for you? Yeah, I think um, how I did it and how I would recommend, because um, I got the advice from some mentors, like bring as many tangible metrics as you can. Because um, like there, there's varying opinions on like putting enumerations and stack rankings on your resume. I personally love it. Like I look for it when I'm hiring. Um, and I think like in the army or in the any, any service, you have that. Like if you're an NCO, you get NCOERs. If you're an officer, you get... OERs where they're literally like was number one of nine platoon leader in the organization, um, was number one of three platoon sergeant in the company. And as a hiring manager, I love that stuff because it's like it shows tangible metrics that you performed. Um, 
And then even stuff like, you know, PT, like PT score, like my platoon, like achieved a 300 PT score against a 300 scale, like showing tangible metrics that may or may not be directly applicable to the job, but it shows that you and your team performed against a number and, um, and you, and you beat that number. I, I think that's an important part of it and kind of like bar- barrier to entry in a lot of, in a lot of ways. I love seeing tangible metrics. So I encourage people to talk about tangible metrics and then just the intangibles. I think sales specifically, like the daily discipline that it takes to successfully prospect day after day, um, really transferable from the military, your discipline in the, in the remote environment. Like a lot of companies are fully remote. Um, and I think discipline to like hold yourself accountable in the remote environment really transfers from the military. So that as well, just kind of being willing to put your head down and do the work. Um, yeah. So I, I would say it'd be a combination of like bringing as many tangible metrics as you can with some of the intangibles that, uh, that'll apply to the role. Yeah. And, and the way that we coach them on the intangibles is it's one thing to say you're resilient. That's like a, that's like a C. Uh, to say you're resilient and give an example, that's like a B. And then to say you're resilient, give an example and explain why you know that's important as a salesperson. That's like, that's, that's a good answer. Now you, now you've shown them that you know yourself, you have examples as to why those things are true and you know why that's going to matter if they hire you. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yep. Yep. Um, what do you, what do you remember from those early days as a BDR? We have obviously a huge part of our audience is, is BDRs that are listening to this. What do you think they should be focused on if they want to, if they want to become good and, and get to that leadership role that, you, that you're at? Yeah. Um, I, I remember just like a lot of the, a lot of the basics and that's why I love, I start why I started there. Like just learning the tech stack. I had no idea what Salesforce was, what Zoom info was. So learn as much as you can about the tech stack, get comfortable with the tools. Um, and really, really focus on performing. I think a lot of time, and sometimes I would catch myself. It's like, you're looking towards that next role. Like how, how can I get there? And, um, one of the leaders at my first companies was like, the best way to, uh, prepare for your next role is to crush your current role. So like, number one, make sure you are crushing your quota, being at the top of that leaderboard. Like the end of the day, that is what's most important. Um, and then from there being a sponge, like I, when I would book meetings, I think I had awesome account executives when I was at SDR. I, I thought they were great AEs and, um, I sat on like every demo. So it wasn't, it wasn't a requirement at my company. I don't know. Some companies, I think it is, some it isn't. Um, but I think just like learning those, learning the demo skills when you aren't, it's like, it's free reps. Like you, uh, you book that meeting, you're sitting on the call and you're just listening to the discovery questions. You're listening to them find what's actual pain, what isn't pain, and kind of like tracking those deal, tracking those deals, tracking the whole sales cycle. Um, you learn a lot. It's like, a, it's free education because you're like learning from others' successes and failures. Totally, totally. It's, it's, it's a no brainer. And to your point, it starts with do your job. Like that's brushing your teeth in the morning. You hit your metrics, but then you've got to, if you want to go do that next role, you've got to start learning about it. And the best way to do that is, is to listen to the people that are successful. And, you know, we used to, when I, when I was at Turbo, we used to make our BDR, our BDRs join every call, every meeting they set and then spend 10, 10 minutes with the AE after and nothing could come out of their mouth except for questions. Why'd you ask this? What did you mean by that? What did, what, when they said this, how come you said that? Like that's, 
that's how you're going to learn. It's like you said, it's free reps. It's a no brainer. That's awesome. That's probably, that's good for the AE too. Cause sometimes you're probably like, man, why did I, why did I ask that question? <laughs> it's very good for the AE. You don't, you, you don't really understand something until you try to teach it to somebody else. That's my yeah. whole belief big time. Yeah. Um, that's how awesome. we, we, that's how we run our alumni program. We try to get them involved with our new candidates. Even if you're six months into a BDR role, it, it also gives you a lot of confidence because you realize how, how much you've learned in that short amount of time because of the nature of the job of drinking from a firehouse. Yeah, 100%. Now, I, obviously, you made that another shift into a leadership role, not your first one um, because of your, your service record, but your first one in sales. Um, can you talk a little bit about your pro your approach to running a team of reps? Are there are there carryovers from from your leadership roles in the Rangers? Yeah, hundred percent. I think. Um, I mean, I took a leadership lesson from the Army that's like in the platoon leader handbook. Basically, like you're responsible for everything your platoon does or fails to do, um, which I love, and I that's like my leadership philosophy at its core, and I believe it as a leader in the civilian sector as well. Um, and it's just, it's accountability. Like I think leadership is, is accountability when it comes to that. Like I'm responsible for everything my sales team does or fails to do. Like I'm, I own that metric at the end of the day. So that's, that's a big one. Um, and then for me, like I, I'm a, and I think this comes from athletics, which transferred into military, which also transfers into civilian life is just like being willing to do the work yourself, like getting in the trenches. Like when you're a captain of a sports team and you aren't, working out with the team, it's like preposterous. Like um, in the military, you know, be in the trenches with, with your guys, um, be willing to do that. And then I think like in the civilian sector in sales, like obviously you aren't doing all the things that your reps are doing, but being willing to hop on calls, get involved in, in deals um, and still like keep the claws sharp when it comes to that. I think like leading by example is um, something that has really transferred. I, I try to do it every day. And um, yeah, it's transferred from the military and sports. Carry the water bottles. My my dad uh, coached high school hockey for 27 years. I'll never forget when I was 12 and kind of old enough to be paying attention to what was going on. I started noticing because he would let me and my brother skate at, the, at their practices. I started noticing that the seniors were the ones who picked up the pucks before the Zamboni came on. Yeah. And, and I asked my dad, like, what? how come the seniors are picking up the pucks? Why don't the, the freshmen and eighth graders pick up the pucks? And he's like, they're, they're the leaders. They need to, they need to show the rest of the team, like what good looks like. Um, awesome. And that stuck with me, my, like literally my whole life. Um, especially when I was running sales teams, it, yeah. you can't ask people to do something that you're not willing to do. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. This is so good. All right, man, we got, I got, thank you for giving us your time. We got two more questions. Um, if we if we asked you to highlight one of the skills that's made you elite in sales, what 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 do you think it would be? What's that number one skill for you? Uh, I I think for my career, like the the humility. I think um, I'm always willing to learn. I was and I I kind of showed it. Like I said in the in in the beginning of my career, I was willing to take that step back to take multiple steps forward. Um, and I think it served me well in the day to day as well. Just being humble, like you don't have all the answers. Um, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room type, type mindset. Um, and always, always trying to grow. And then just the, the willingness to kind of lead from the front as well. Um, I'd say those are kind of like the two, the two things that have led to my success. Love it. Love it. Um, 
So we have like our own internal uh, operating language at, at Shift Group um, when we talk about candidates um, and we talk about, you know, leaders and, and everything. We, we, we say when someone's like really operating at a high level, um, we like to say that, you know, this guy's dialed in or this girl's dialed in. And most, most athletes and veterans, it's one of the reasons we focus on that pop, that population. They, I don't have to explain what being dialed in means or what it looks like, but we always like to ask our guests, how would you describe a sales professional that is dialed in? Um, I love that. Yeah. Um, I would say like fully owning their territory as, as a business, like they know the ins and outs of it. Um, they treat every part of their job, like in a, in a professional way, like from prospecting to, um, demoing to, you know, pipeline and account management, you are, you're, you're the captain, like you're, you're the captain of JRville. Like you, you own everything in that territory. You're dialed in, you know, the ins and outs. That's what I would say. I love it. Franchise ownership, man. That's what yeah, we used to exactly. call, we used to call it. Yeah. Um, and, and that professionalism is, is key. It's, like here's the reality that I I think people take for granted. You're you chose a career that you can make as much money as a professional athlete, literally. Um, but think about what it takes to make that type of money as a professional athlete. That's what it takes to make that type of money as a professional salesperson. So to not approach it that way, you're you're leaving money on the table. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Awesome, dude. Great conversation, Josh. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. I'm I'm really excited. This is a hashtag required listening for for our special operators because I I need them to hear from more more folks like you to, to to understand like what the opportunity is, but what it takes to get there. So thank you so much. This is amazing. Absolutely, this was a a treat for me. Absolute pleasure. I love the mission. Um, and and yeah, would love to chat again sometime. Awesome. Thank you. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.